Masal Harry, Sabal Harry. Harry to you wherever you tuned in from. This is the Justice Watchers podcast where we tell the stories of brave individuals who strive to promote and protect human rights in our communities. Where we unwrap closely knit empowering stories. The stories thread the DNA of those that pick up the hammer when the judge and jury exit the corridors of justice. Of those that handle the scales where blind lady justice has left the balance unattended. Of those who raise their voices outside the streets where the crowd has stopped agitating for their rights. This is the Justice Watchers podcast. A joint from the National Coalition for Human Rights Defenders Kenya. Hello good people of Kenya and the rest of the world. With me, Buling Muchole, your host. Today in studio, I am with Cecilia. Cecilia is from the coast, but she lives in Nairobi. She's a digital security expert and a journalist who's been in the field for quite a while and she's really good at it by the way <laughs> so let me without wasting any of your time let her introduce herself uh thank you so much for the warm welcome uh Karibu. i'm really excited to be here being on the other side of the mic mm-hmm. being interviewed not interviewing people <laughs> yeah so i'm cecilia mound i'm a broadcast journalist i'm a digital security trainer i work at the intersection of journalism human rights and technology with a focus on countering online abuse against women journalists mm-hmm. while protecting freedom of expression online I'm also a podcaster. I have a podcast. It's called Digital Dada. Digital Dada is a podcast where we just discuss about digital security and also we focus on online violence through storytelling because people love stories. People relate with stories. Yes. So in a nutshell, that's me. Oh, yeah. That, that's the reason why I wanted you to introduce yourself because I feel like I left out a few things. And yeah, that's quite a portfolio you have there. <laughs> Thank you. What do individuals in Kenya need in terms of digital safety tools, circumvention or other information that enable them to access the internet and information easily, safely and secure rely ahead of the August election? Uh, first of all, we must acknowledge uh, the power that the internet has given people. It has brought in the issue of civic activism. You know, unlike before when we had to start looking for our member of parliament queuing and looking for meeting, nowadays they're just a tweet away. So the internet has, t- has basically set the stage on whereby us local people can be able to engage in politics actively. You know, coming from a country uh, like Kenya, whereby, first of all, I don't want to say everyone is digitally enabled, but majority of the population, especially us who live in these big cities, mm-hmm. are digitally enabled. It is such a big um, platform, you know. And also we talk about accessibility, you know. I know when we go to the rural areas, people are still fighting uh, with the issue of 2G, you know. While in Nairobi, we're entertaining the issue of 5, uh, 5G. Nevertheless, we have a bigger opportunity to be able to be online. And remember, in Kenya, we are yet to experience an internet shutdown. 
Yes, every time there's an election, there's the idea of there's going to be an internet shutdown, while the government on the other side is telling us we are not going to have uh, an internet shutdown. So one tool that I would say, especially for human rights defenders who are in this space, yeah. because at such a time like this, it's, it's, very, it's a sensitive time to be online, we'll talk about the issue of VPNs. And when we talk about VPN, um, we have to know, first of all, when which VPN are you going for? What's a VPN? Well, a VPN is a virtual private network. It is able to hide your identity online. For example, I can say I'm in Russia while I'm still in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. You know, so it helps you as an individual. You are not, you, they are not able to track you. They're not able to track you, so they yes. won't know um, exactly this where you post are. is yes. coming from this location yes. of the country. Yeah, so this. it's able to hide your location. So quickly. Um, if I have a laptop here or if I am using my phone, how do I how do I alter my VPN or how do I enable that VPN? How am I able to use that VPN? Okay, first of all, you have to be able to download uh, the VPN. Mm -hmm. You know, in the process of downloading the VPN, they ask you which location you'd want to be in. You know, you can say you want to be based in the UK. You know, so in the process of... Uh, registering that's when you are able to choose the location that you prefer yeah. yes so a vpn is able to hide your location which is very key meaning you cannot be you cannot be trapped. trapped but i have to put a disclaimer that you can never be a hundred percent uh, safe. safe. Ah, you know, okay. We can give you all the digital tools, mm -hmm. but you can never be 100% safe. Okay. So it doesn't mean when you have a vpn meaning you are oh now i'm locked now I'm, yes no sometimes they have ways of finding where you are. Yes. Okay. 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 Super. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that information. So apparently you can download the VPN from the internet. So there are guidelines, right? Yes, there are guidelines. And also before you go for a VPN, mm -hmm. there are v so many VPNs online. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the open source. And what yeah. we mean by open source tools, they are tools which have been created and the code is out in the public. So you, anyone can be able to audit and find out how much of your information they keep. So it's always good to look for open source instead of what we call proprietary. Because if it is proprietary, meaning it's an organization which is uh, out to make money. If it's open source, it's created for, for the public. You know, it's the, the agenda is not to make money. And mm. that's why we advise human rights defenders always go for open source tools. For example, Signal which has been now like a buzzword in Kenya, is an open source tool, you know, created by whispers. So with Signal, you are a bit more safer than using other tools. Yes. So always do your research first. I do a research about the VPNs that are available, you know, find out about the companies that are off offering this VPN and mm -hmm. then choose one. Choose one, yes. okay. Okay, so, so. so you've talked a bit about what I wanted to ask, but still, let me just ask it. Which additional tools, resources, or information should be made available and accessible in local languages? Well, coming from a country where we, we have 44 uh, languages now, mm. or is it 47? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, the last time I checked, we were 44. It's, um, it's quite tricky to say... Let's and you know we are also very tribal, so you don't want to say this certain language is better. So I always feel 
we would rather go for English and Swahili, and Swahili. because it cuts across board. Because at the same time, when we bring in the issue of languages, knowing it's a very sensitive topic, especially now during the, when we are heading to an, an election. To an election, So yeah. I would add, advocate for English and Swahili. And because we know most tools are made in English, then I would advocate for Swahili. Because now no one is left out. Because if we say we are going for 10 tribes, what about the rest, of, about 34? The rest of 34? Yes. Okay. So let me hold you here briefly. Um, You've talked about Signal, the tool. A secure messaging app. A, a secure messaging app. Is it, is it available in Kiswahili? Yes. It's Signal, available in Kiswahili? Yes. Signal is available in Swahili. We were part of the team that translated, localized it. We call it localization uh -huh. from English to Swahili. Uh -huh. So it's available in Swahili, 100%. What? Yes. Tell me about that experience. Tell me about that experience. Of localizing yeah. Signal. First of all, yeah. it was the first tool that I was involved in, in localizing in Swahili. Uh -huh. And we were doing it with a team from Tanzania. From Tanzania? Yes. Uh -huh. So I can say because our Swahili is not the same. So there were a bit of challenges. But it was, it was a very good experience. And knowing that you have created um, an opportunity, you've brought change. Okay. Yes. Okay. Super. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, which groups are most affected online by bullying and cyber security problems? Okay. Majority of the groups that are affected online are basically the minority groups. And when I talk about minority groups in this in this uh, context, I'm talking about women. I'm talking about the LGBT community. I'm talking about people living with disability, PWD, uh, uh, and also children. Because we saw during the pandemic, the pandemic underscored the importance of the internet. And, you know, our lives were moved uh, online and we saw now kids were online you know and we saw how much cyber bullying cyber harassment took place also for kids and also when i talk about women i'm talking about women with voices online politicians you know i'm talking about women journalists i'm talking about women human rights defenders those are the m most groups which are at risk uh, online and unfortunately because of uh, the online violence which includes cyber harassment uh, what people like uh, properly calling revenge porn, but it's not revenge porn. It's supposed to be called, it's called non-consensual sharing of personal information. Because when you made that, uh, whatever it is that you did, it was not for purposes of porn. We saw the first COVID-19 uh, victim, Brenda, how much uh, she went through uh, online violence. Yeah, and her photos were leaked, were, were leaked online. So majority is women who have voices online, the LGBT commu community. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, most of the victims of online violence prefer to leave the online violence or they start self-censoring themselves because of fear of being victimized. And online violence, what makes it uh, bad is the amplifying and victim shaming. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you, are, yeah. you are a victim of online violence and then people start blaming you yeah. for the yeah. violence. For what happened you know? to you. And also our laws... I've not come out clear. Yes, Section 27 of the Computer Misuse Act talks about cyber harassment. But the law is very vague. First of all, it doesn't define what is cyber harassment. Uh, two, it doesn't contextualize the crime. And number three, it comes close to infringing on freedom of expression online. You know, So mostly you are basically on your own. 
you know and that's why we need policies that's why i started digital data because i want to inf uh, create content that informs policies whereby we can create laws that are working for people thank you for mentioning digital data <laughs> that's your podcast right yes i i want us to take a bit of a detour and explore that space of women's voices in the digital space and we'll start with your own um contribution to that space there's a documentary you did on huduma number when was that i did uh, 2020 when the pandemic was skyrocketing mm -hmm. yes because i remember it was quite tough getting people to interview and most of the people preferred being interviewed online and i didn't want that i really wanted uh, to sit being because i'm a filmmaker mm -hmm. so I, i really wanted to also read the body language of the people i'm interviewing mm -hmm. yes so i did it in 2020 and it is online it was funded by kicktonet kenya ict action network yes Okay so you you've actually you're actually working with bodies that are trying to regulate that space. Yes. Okay. Um let's talk about um Nanjala Nyabola and her book The Language of the Digital Future. Um tell me a bit about it because I I think it's been influential in one way or the other in your in your work. Could you could you tell me a bit about that because she's also somebody who's really active in the political space and I remember I remember her publishing this collection which she helped edit it was about the women's voices in the 2017 elections it was actually titled women and politics with the 2017 general elections in context in context I mean so tell me a bit about the language of the digital future Well, without going into much details, basically uh she's talking about how language is leaving so many people out in the digital platform. Remember most of uh this online platform English is their major language, you know. Uh and that's why you find people struggling uh to be on the online platform because language and coming from a country whereby it's just uh coming from a country where by English is not our first language Swahili is our first language and remember when you look at the countries in Africa Kenya is among the best English speaking countries so what about the rest of the countries where by maybe French is their first language so she's talking about how language is excluding so many people so many people are being left out from the digital platform because of the key languages and remember coming from like in Africa that we speak over 2000 languages you know how many platforms are willing to be able to tra to localize or translate these platforms into uh, to those languages and also brings in the issue of uh, content moderation we right now there's so much hate online you know mm -hmm. and Kenya we are very we are known because of the issue of hate speech you know but when you look at the hate speech it goes it is going on with vernacular languages so how many content moderation for example can meta have to be able to catch this word and after how long so by the time you realize this is a hate word by the time it is removed online the damage has already been done uh -huh. you know yeah so it is a little bit too late yes so Uh, Nanjala's book is about how language plays a key role mm -hmm. in us being online on digital rights and that's why we are in Nairobi we live in Nairobi you know it's a hotbed of innovation you know we believe everyone is online but go to a very small village where I'm from 
uh, Shimba Hills. You know, how many people would want to be online? But because of language, they, they cannot be part of. They cannot take part in this in the digital dividend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. They're not they're not able to fully benefit from this space that would offer them so much opportunity. And I would like to add, remember when women have less spaces on the digital platform, then it means less spaces on the boardroom. It means less spaces in newsroom. It means less spaces in political corridors. You know, so the the digital divide continues widening while at the same time we are continuing to press to close it. So one of the things that we have to deal with if we are really serious about closing the digital gender divide is language. And that's what Nanjala keeps uh, talking about. Okay. Yeah, super, super. That's a, that's a really good blab of, of Nanjala's book. I, I want us to talk a bit about how prepared we are for the age of the internet. We are in the internet age, but still, as you said, there are some areas that are really marginalized. So do we have the right infrastructure? As much as we are talking about language, do we, do we have infrastructure to enable us, to enable these people access um, the internet despite the language barrier? Or is it like, a, are they oppressed um, twice? Uh, first of all, I, would, I want to say, like, uh, the way we say, yeah, the Kenyan government is really trying because I've been to different parts of Africa and I've seen how people are struggling with, with the infrastructure. So I would say Kenya is really making the right steps in the right direction. However, we are still not doing enough. You know, when, I mean, Kenya's internet has been, rest, um, uh, has been rated among the best in the world. I think we're even ahead of the U.S. The last time I checked. So, so far, so good. But remember, the majority of the population in this country live in the rural areas. You know, me coming from a place whereby we don't even have electricity, you know, and then you're here talking about the internet. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think there's more that needs to be done, you know. And I remember they brought in the looms, the, the what were the, the the Google balloons or something like that. Yes. But I feel it's a project that failed. So a lot needs to be done. And remember, accessibility is not just accessibility. Mm -hmm. It is good accessibility, good accessibility, good connectivity. You could have internet, but you are there. You know, it's, it's buffering yes, yes. for So we also minutes. talk about good connectivity. Yes, okay. connectivity can be there, but is it good? What can be done to overcome these challenges? What can be done to access this good connectivity? Um, first of all, by us as citizens, and then second, by the government. Is there something we can do as citizens of this country? Is there something the government can do? Is there something the... Um, NGOs can do, human rights especially organizations can do? Uh, first of all, I think we need uh, funding because remember, the government can only do so much, you know, and getting uh, the infrastructure is not cheap, so funding should be very key. Uh, second of all, the internet should be made as a public infrastructure, uh -huh. you know, yes. Yeah, no. yeah. Right now we are talking about CBC and they keep saying like now being the, the digital world is part of the CBC. And remember even kids in the rural Kenya are part of the CBC, you know. And we keep saying that 
we want them to be digitally enabled. We saw it very clearly how much they were left behind because we saw these fancy schools. Their lives went on normal because their kids went. Was yeah, still part they, of, they have yes, the infrastructure. Yes, right now we are playing catch up. Yeah. So it should be made a public infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that is one. Second of all, when it comes to funding, this big organization. I remember I did a documentary for uh, TSC. Uh, teacher service commission and it is what was funded by world bank and one of the key areas we were focusing on that documentary is how digitally enabled schools were in this country you know so funding like that from world bank which is able to give us information and exactly the status of the internet you know and also we need policies you know policies that can inform laws which come up and talk about the internet i would like to know as we are as we are heading to the election what are we supposed to be looking out for? What are we supposed to be cautious about, especially um, the vulnerable groups, especially the people who face the most danger um, using the digital space? What are they supposed to look out for? And they still want to follow. I still want to follow politics. I still want to make a contribution. Um, how am I supposed to, to behave right now in that space? First of all, look out for misinformation. Right now, we know like social media uh, is the fertile ground for misinformation. Okay, thank you. There's misinformation, there's disinformation. Could you please give us? So misinformation is information that has, has, been, put, uh, has been put out there, yes, but it is not intentionally to misinform people. Uh, uh, you understand? Okay. Yeah. You, for example, you can say uh, 30 people have died, you know, because they uh, the violence erupted somewhere, yet there are about maybe five people, you know. But this information is information created for purposes. It originally it was created so that it can um, cause harm to people, you know. For example, when they were talking about the vaccine, and then people came up, I saw a message going around, uh, around WhatsApp three years. Uh, for the people who've been vaccinated, after three years they will die. That is disinformation. Uh-huh. It was created for that purposes. Uh-huh. Yes. So that is the difference. Uh-huh. Disinformation and misinformation. You can get misinformation from mainstream media because they didn't know. I remember there was a time there was this um, uh, story about a certain game whereby kids are playing and then they end up committing suicide. You know, and it was on mainstream media, but it was it was a lie. So that is misinformation. But this information has been created for the purposes of lying to people. Okay. Yes. So the difference is in the yes. intention. Yes, the intention exactly. Okay. So what can we what can we do? How do we be cautious of? misinformation and disinformation are there tools we can use to fact check and verify whether this is true or this is false you see now also we are living in the microwave generation what's a microwave generation (laughs) we want things instantly and that's why you get a message you're not even sure it's correct and then you forward it to a group of 256 people Mm. so you can imagine how much damage of course Uh so it's very important to fact check and uh, you've asked a very good question how can we uh, verify Mm. i know google has um 
has a fact checking they have introduced i went for a meeting the other day and they were talking about it i'm not very uh, clear uh, clear about it but google has a way of uh, fact checking and then there's a uh, africa check whereby they're teaching people you know they are um, doing it's an awareness campaign how first of all to verify the facts and you know it starts with an individual you know somebody will say no it's not up to me it's up no because we are the same people who are sharing these messages on, on the online platform. So also it's very good to be cautious as a person, especially us in this field of human rights and uh, uh, in the digital space. Fact check first. Before you forward that information about this politician or about whatever is happening in maybe Kajado or Busia, fact check to find out is it correct information. You know, uh -huh. yes. Okay, okay. Um, I'll pick up from there. Mm. I'll pick up from there. And I want to... I want to distract us a little bit in a good way. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I am posting something about, I'm posting my opinion on Twitter. I'm posting my opinion on Twitter and someone disagrees. He hasn't, he hasn't insulted me. He hasn't, um, he hasn't done anything that, is, that violates uh, my, my rights but they are really annoying apart from blocking are there if i can't block them what do i do if i can't also ignore and they have access to me i guess i'm also heading to the blurry lines of bullying how do we how do i know someone is bullying is, the, is it relative is cruelty relative you're listening to the justice watches podcast a joint from the National Coalition for Human Rights Defenders in Kenya. We champion the safety, security and well-being of human rights defenders in Kenya. We'd be happy to know the kind of insights that your immersion into the world of human rights defenders in Kenya has offered you today. For suggestions and feedback, log on to www.defenderscoalition.org. Visit our Facebook at Defenders Coalition, Twitter at Defenders KE, Instagram at Defenders KE. Or call us directly on 716-200-100 for any emergencies. I'm posting my opinion on Twitter and someone disagrees. I'm also heading to the blurry lines of bullying. How do I know someone is bullying? Is, the, is it relative? Is cruelty relative? Well, I remember it's, it depends on what context. You know, we, we, all of us are in different political parties. You know, we are supporting different political parties. And they might say something negative. Maybe you might post something positive about your party and somebody comes and disagrees with the information. So it depends on how you look at it. But uh, I always say how you handle uh, cyberbullying is, is, is on very individual basis. For example, there are people who will attack that bully you know and you have you know keep throwing words at each other and there's a lot of conflict information about that it does more harm than good but remember as i said is on an individual basis so you feel if you feel this person is violating your space there's you talked about blocking you know you can even decide to unfollow them you know, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, it, yeah. you know, the power is in your hands. And these social media platforms are coming up with ways on how to be able to handle uh, such things. Also, there, there are keywords whereby you can, you can input. So, for example, if they talk about um, toxic feminists and somebody maybe is writing a message to me and then 
toxic i will not see that because they have picked the keyword i don't want to see anything to do with toxic feminist or uh, maybe feminism in a negative light so yes. you can actually set it yes you can actually set it on your app whatever application you're using yeah. and that's why i keep saying uh, always uh, enlighten yourself with what these social media platforms are doing they're coming up with a lot of privacy features yes they're not doing enough but they are coming up with a lot of privacy features and it's good if you are an avid internet user it's good especially if you are a, you have a big audience and you're very vocal online look at such privacy features and it is for your own advantage okay okay super that's that's cool to know that's cool to know <laughs> because sometimes you might be in in a space and you don't probably i have my own mental issues probably i'm depressed and i'm not able to tell the lines clearly so blocking somebody for it's not always the other person it's not always the other person sometimes it's it's you sometimes it's you so that's why i asked that question i asked that question for somebody who wanted to protect themselves but also um not offend others in that process because sometimes we do that we sometimes we hurt others in the process of protecting ourselves that is very common circling back to my uh, to my point on how you're supposed to take advantage of uh, privacy features online remember as i said uh, social media has become a very fertile ground for hate speech cyberbullying and everything and these social media platforms have not given us a clear roadmap on how they intend to counter hate speech remember uh, 2007 uh, 2008 post election violence remember 2017 and social media was one of the key drivers of this kind of uh, violence so as an individual you have the responsibility of taking charge of the content that you put online yes unfortunately uh-huh. now it comes to that so you can be prosecuted for Well the laws are not very clear when it comes to prosecution of cyber harassment remember the IS they are not very clear you know and that's why you find a lot of people feeling very discouraged yes people have go, uh, gone to court and it is been dragging because as i said the law is very vague i i remember there's this time there's this time Boniface Mwangi published something um he published a story mm. alongside this other writer Alexander Ikawa so they they published a story and the person whom they wrote about or they were exposing sent a cease and desist letter yes to their to, yeah. to, to to the office mm-hmm. so i'm just thinking if if what i i wrote and published and was posted um online can have me uh, can have me be given a cease and desist then it means that for even a paragraph or even a few characters on twitter i can also be prosecuted or what what do you think yes you can be prosecuted but again that the law is very vague you know for you to be prosecuted the law has to be very clear on what you are being prosecuted about about yes ah, okay. it is just the other day when we got the computer cybercrime uh, uh, law put into place mm-hmm. and with anything new there must be teething problems you know and one of the sections that has serious teething problems is the cyber harassment and you remember when uh, the law came into place article 19 went to court because it was more leaning on uh, infringing on people's freedom of expression 
Yes. So we are still on that road whereby we are still talking about how cyber harassment should be very clear because it has become so common in Kenya. And you know, this is the time when it is so high because we are heading to a general election, you know. So for prosecution to happen, the law has to be very clear. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, haya, habari ndo hiyo. The law can only protect you to... A certain, extent. a certain extent. And it's the same thing you go to a police station. You say, "Oh, I'm here to report somebody and you have documented your abuse because we say always document your abuse screenshot." You know? Mm-hmm. That is your that is yeah, uh, that is the um it's called what? That is uh, the receipt you have. Let me use the receipt you have. Yeah. So you go to a police station and say I've been abused online. Uh, what do you mean? Yeah, I've been abused uh, on Instagram. And the policeman will ask you what is Instagram? So where do you start from there? Mm-hmm. So also the law uh, uh or forces of the law have to be informed about cyber harassment you know because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where do we start when you tell me you don't even know what is instagram and mm-hmm. then when you start to explain oh instagram is this online platform you're told leave the online platform no i have a right to be online it is my right to be online as an individual if i want to be online mm-hmm. but my 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 presence there will not be violated by someone who is abusing me and that's why they brought in the gender desk kenya police you know but however as i said little has been done we still have a long way to go you know okay. before we get to a point whereby somebody because you know these perpetrators of online violence their intention their m- common denominator is to get you off the online platform oh uh, yeah yeah yes. they want you off yes they want space. you off the online platform yeah. you know yes so for them to know that they can actually be prosecuted for it it would be a step in the right direction I want us to talk a bit now about how um how the digital space can be used for activism. Um and this I will pick the context of Uganda. Of course there was an internet shutdown there during the election between Okay, they weren't the only contestants but they were the ones who I don't want to head into that political side but anyway it's inevitable. Um Bobby Wine and Museveni. You remember that time he came to Kenya and part of the reason people got to know about what was happening in Uganda was because Bobby Wine came to Kenya and he's a musician. He's a musician who went into that field specifically because he wanted to help his people. He wanted to help um his constituency that he was elected in and the wider nation Uganda what can artists who are moving into the political space do to sort of maybe highlight these issues without them being in the front line without them without them um being the poster child of that message well I think that now is on individual basis because if you don't want to be a poster child for that message so someone in has to step in so that means somebody else is driving your agenda and yes and that's why the, the with the example that you gave Bobby Wine came out very clear on his intention and this uh, digital space really was such a big enabler for his messages to be out there. So I always feel it's very hard if someone else is driving the agenda. You know, so you you are you're taking uh, you know like a back seat, you know. And it's like uh, 
when you look at somebody like Boniface Mwangi, we know also the digital platform has really enabled him. And it has enabled him and it has given him a name out, uh, out there. So I, I, I'm trying to imagine him taking a backspace, but somebody putting his message forward uh, is not going to be the same. It's not going to yes. be the same. The effectiveness is, no, is going to be less. Okay. Yes. Mm. Okay. So for human rights defenders, they, they're required to be courageous. It's, yeah, because uh, the field is about ca- courageous, mm. being courageous, mm. you know. Because you are trying to defend the rights of the people. And for human rights organizations, what would what would be their approach to what would be their approach to the elections, especially with the message they are trying to to pass to people? As I, as I said, um, the online platform I always say is a blank check. It's just you deciding how much you want to pay yourself. And one writer said. There is no time, better time to be alive than now because of the digital space. So digital uh, human rights defenders have a space to air their opinion. Okay. You know, and okay. especially right now when we know there are so many human rights violations happening and will happen after the election. They have now the this is the best time to be able to come out clear for what they're supporting, for what they're advocating for. If it is the LGBT community, which is a minority group, if it is uh, human, women human rights defenders, this is the best time to come out very clearly on what they're advocating for because they have the space and the audience to listen to them. Cecilia. Yes. You mentioned something. You mentioned self-censorship. What is self-censorship? Self-censorship is where you watch everything that you post in, in, in a manner whereby you spare some information bec- because of fear of being attacked by people, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. And we've seen a lot of human rights defenders do that for fear of victimization. Mm-hmm. However, what people don't know, every time a human rights defender self-censors themselves, is a threat to the society because that information would have been put out there for the betterment of the society. Uh-huh. So not only does that human rights defender lose, but also the society in general loses because they withhold information that is very key for the community. Okay, yes. okay. Self-censorship. It kind of, it's, it's a personal version of what the government does to us when they shut down the internet. <laughs> yes. What do you think... What do you think would be our reaction, say, was the government to shut down the internet during this time? What, especially for human rights defenders, um, what tools would we have to navigate that shutdown? Um, how would it look like? Say, just imagine after, it's just a case in point. I mean, just imagine after the elections, they shut down the internet. How would we be able to access say communities how would we be able to access um results via the online space via the digital space first of all there are two types of internet shutdown there's a partial internet shutdown and a full internet shutdown if it is a complete internet shutdown there's nothing much we can do because we know the government owns the infrastructure, the internet service providers are also under the government. So if it is a complete shutdown, then we are helpless. However, if it's a partial internet shutdown, like we've seen in many countries, for example, they 
lockout uh, social media platforms for example up to today facebook is not available in uganda you know uh, there's a time nigeria uh, Twitter was not available. So in such instances, that's what I was talking about, going back to my earlier point, VPN, virtual private network. Because they don't know where you are, your location. You can be able to access that information. Oh. Yes. So the internet isn't something that the government can take and put under lock and key. It's just about you um, finding a way of hiding your identity. So when you're using a virtual private network, you're hiding your identity, you know. So you are able to access the sites which have been locked by that government. Uh-huh. But if it is a complete shutdown, there's nothing much you can uh, do. Yes. Okay. yes. Okay. So you just have to go to either Tanzania or Uganda. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I remember uh, when Cameroon was having a civil war, mm. they were called uh, internet refugees. Some people would go to their neighboring country, uh, access the information that they need, and then come back home. Okay. Yes, okay. yes. So an option would be to become... <laughs> Let's hope it never gets there. So there isn't mm. really much we can do. Yes, when it's a complete shutdown. Uh, yes. Okay. What risks do human rights defenders face? Uh, what are the potential risks I, as a human rights defender, would face in the digital space? Well, first, we have to acknowledge that the digital space is a double-edged sword. It has given us the opportunity for uh, civic activism. You mm-hmm. know, we can do our activism very comfortably. Mm-hmm. Unlike before, when we had to actually go to the streets, you know, we still go to the streets. But you remember the Arab Spring, how it, ch- uh, yeah. you know, like yeah. it created a revolution, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it all started on the digital platform. Mm-hmm. So that there's a very big benefit. However, as I said, it can also be used as a weapon against human rights defenders. Uh-huh. And one of the threats that they can go through is surveillance. You know, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. surveilled, maybe you're being uh, surveilled by the government of the day because they, are, they know the kind of work that you do. Mm-hmm. That is one. You can go through hacking. People coming after your information because they need to know exactly what, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You could be in a... In, in, a, in a country whereby they have uh, bought the, uh, it's called peer gas uh, spyware. You know, it's on your phone, but you don't know. So you everything that you're doing, you know, is being monitored. So there, there, are, there are so many uh, threats that they can go through. And remember some of the threats that are online move offline. And you mm-hmm. find human rights defenders actually being killed mm-hmm. because they have been tracked where they are mm-hmm. and they have been killed. There's also threats. You know, especially if it's human, women human rights defenders, you know, they go through cyberbullying, online harassment, left, right and center. And remember, this harassment is on, not only on you, but also on your family. Yeah. You know, yeah. they move away from attacking you, now they start attacking your family. And for example, if unfortunately you had your information online, maybe where you live or your phone number, or somebody can actually do what we call doxing. Doxing is from the word document, whereby they put your information, your real information online. You know, this person is called so-and-so, they live in this place, their children go to this place, their husband works here, their mother lives here. That is doxing. Uh, Factual information, somebody leaks it online. So, for example, maybe you go through an issue of doxing. So not only are you in... uh, in, uh, 
danger but also the people you care about are in danger so there's all these uh, things that human rights defenders can go through and one more thing i always say you can minimize you can protect yourself minimize the information that you put online unfortunately when social media in its infancy stage it was so good we were excited we put our phone numbers our emails because that then it was social media we were socializing but now it has turned into something else and remember the work that we do put us at a very vulnerable position so minimize the information we don't overshare your information you know you are at uh, defenders coalition recording a podcast don't do such things you know you don't have to check in online to get where you're going you will still get where you're going before checking online you know that is uh, one a uh, second of all try and protect yourself use a vpn not only when we are heading to an election but use a vpn generally you know always have a vpn it is it is a good uh, protection second of all when it comes to email look for a service uh, an email service provider which is safe for example right now we are advocating for what we call proton mail proton mail is open source as i mentioned earlier is 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 a service that has been created to be able to protect your information use proton mail if it is secure messaging app use signal you know we we love whatsapp you mm, know mm. but it's not as safe as signal so look for ways that you can be able to protect yourself and also when you go online you don't have to wait for a digital security training you can actually find information online and i always say uh, give that information you know share that information create a ripple effect you know you could be in a space whereby your family doesn't know about it and you're communicating with your family because you're only secure as the next person if 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 i'm secure and you're not secure and we communicate they can find ways uh, through you to get to me so also spread the information so that we can create a, uh, an ecosystem of security yeah. yes and remember uh, digital security is subjective it is on individual basis the risk you are prone to i'm not prone to and uh-huh. vice versa yeah, yeah, and yeah. human rights defenders are in a very delicate position mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the more you protect yourself the safer you the are the safer you are and remember as you protecting yourself also mm-hmm. protect those who are around you so it's yes. really about understanding the nature of your work exactly. rather than um, what really makes the space thrive. yes yes okay i would want you to just tell us a little bit about your you mentioned a bit about um what's it called dada digital dada digital dada podcast digital dada podcast what are the what are the inspirations of your podcast you explained you explained what it's about um first of all i want you to i want you to tell me where it's available um when you what you're currently working on and yeah where else can we find your work Well Digital Dada was inspired by how I was I was seeing my fellow women journalists leaving the online space and also being so scared of expressing themselves online and remember radio is such a big platform in this country actually radio is the biggest mainstream media and podcasting is just yeah literally yeah up. yes podcasting is an extension of radio yes. and online violence is very invisible in the mainstream media one of the reason why it is invisible in the mainstream media is because first of all our newsroom are made up of men the patriarchy we live in a patriarchal society and a patriarchal society is a violent society so the patriarchy was coming out very clear and then i realized 
oh, I can start my own podcast and bring those stories to the people. That's how I started Digital Dada Podcast. And Digital Dada Podcast has, as much as it's a small podcast, uh, UNESCO approached me because they needed to uh, get information from, you know, uh, a research they are doing on online violence against women journalists. They wanted to get data from it. I, also, there's an organization called PEN America. I'm, I'm localizing their website uh, the online harassment manual from English to Swahili and they just listened to my podcast and I just they saw, send me an email they're like oh, we would want this uh, website into Swahili can you be able to do about it so what I'm trying to say is anything small that you do it doesn't have to be magnified outside there you can bring change in any possible way digital data is not big I'm planning to make it bigger but there's also planning and doing it. So, <laughs> yes, those are two very different That's things. Yes. And what people don't tell you about uh, content cre uh, creation is persistent is, you know, being, they call it what? Being consistent. Being consistent, yeah. Is the hardest part. Somebody yeah. told me starting is the hardest. Oh, no. Yeah. It's being, cons being consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 because you have audience who are actually every week, they're mm. waiting for your content. No, but it's not as easy as people say. And I'm not discouraging people. Yeah. You know, go ahead and do it. Yeah. But for me, I can tell you it has been one of the biggest challenges of being consistent. Right. Yes. So I would say, like, Try as much as you can. And now that you're starting a podcast, you will be able to, to see how it goes. But I would say start. Start and then just see how it be flows. Consistent. Yes, yes. Be, be consistent. Be consistent and Try flow and with be consistent and flow with it. And in case it gets to a point where you're not consistent, don't give up. Because I remember there's a time I had really stayed for months without giving any content, you know. And then... I started, I picked up again. So digital data can be found on Anchor, it can be found on Spotify, it can be found on Google uh, Podcasts. And because the Kenyan audience love YouTube, somebody just said, why don't you put it on YouTube? And I realized the people watch it more on, you know, listen to it more on YouTube than on these other platforms, you know. And now I'm taking a new direction. I'm going both audio and video for the upcoming episode to see how it basically goes. So just go to YouTube, search Digital Dada Podcast. You'll find me there. Thank you so much, Cecilia. You have heard. She's, a, she's available on all platforms. All platforms. Go look for her podcast there, Digital Dada. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Justice Watchers Podcast where we dive deep inside the world of human rights defenders in Kenya. We appreciate your audience. We encourage you to share this podcast episode on all your social media platforms. Tune into our next episode, same channel, on all podcasting platforms. Championing the safety, security and well-being of human rights defenders in Kenya.